welcome into this week's edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I am Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Cartman, joined by Kalen Jones uh, for his second go around at our podcast. Um, we're back from Camp Tonizona, got over that little hangover from be covering every practice in full up there, Kalen, and, and uh, they're back in Tempe. They just had a scrimmage on Saturday. There's one more scrimmage that's going to be coming up this Saturday, and then Todd Graham said they're going to exchange scouts and start to do uh, game prep for New Mexico State, the home opener. Um, so... If, was there anything, Kalen, that jumped out at you from what we've been hearing from Ty Graham, what we've seen out there on the practice field since the team returned from Camp Tonizona? Um, since the return, not too much has really, you know, surprised me, I guess. Um, I did tweet about, like, the goal line thing, but that's kind of, like, overanalyzing. But I, I think it was an issue for ASU last year. They did seem to give up a lot more, you know, scores in the red zone area. Which, you know, and in general, yeah, I mean, just in general, <laughs> you're not wrong, just in general, yeah, they, they suffered, and you know, for everything that they, everything that they improved on the offensive end, it seemed like the defense just fell apart last year. Yeah, Todd Graham said, uh, if quote, if not for a goal line stand at the end of the scrimmage, I'd probably tell you the offense won, right? Uh, I think the scoreboard read 38 38, and they decided they had to, to actually uh, view what, what happened. Uh, on film to determine who was going to be the winner of that scrimmage. Now, the thing that everybody wants to talk about, of course, is the quarterback competition. Uh, Manny Wilkins and Blake Barnett are are battling for that spot from what we've seen, uh, including full practices up at Tonazona. Uh, Wilkins was taking probably 80% of the first team reps. Um, We weren't able to observe the scrimmage. Um, Todd Graham said afterwards he thought that it went well. Uh, I spoke with a handful of people who attended scrimmage, uh, not not part of the team. It just got a general sense of what they thought about it. Uh, it seemed to be that Blake Barnett had an edge in terms of how his performance was perceived versus Wilkins, especially from a uh, accuracy standpoint. Um, Ty Graham, though, is not giving anything away, right? right. He said, he um, yeah, I mean, at this point in the game, why would you? Um, he said, uh, after Monday's practice, he said, I, I quote, I think it's very competitive and Manny has got to get beat out. Now that basically is almost the same thing that he said at PAC 12 media day, right at, right when they were just getting started. Kalen, do you think anything's changed in how this quarterback competition feels or in the closeness of it, just from your, um, sense being around practices in the program? So it's weird because like, you know, Graham would want us to think that nothing has really changed. And really, for the most part, nothing has necessarily changed. I think what I've come to realize personally, though, is that Barnett may be sort of a gamer. I remember you and Kevin and I, we talked about how DSC, like Sterling Cole, is sort of a gamer. But Barnett, for all intents and purposes, like during practices and whatnot, he can't hit a brick wall, you know, (laughs) like he's not accurate. But all of a sudden when, you know, they, they go seven on seven and they go tempo, and even during the scrimmages, this isn't the first time I've heard about him performing well during a scrimmage. So it makes me wonder, okay, maybe the quarterback battle is a bit closer than what it is. But, you know, at the same time, you know, until Graham, you know, the rhetoric matches what the perception is, which at this point, I guess they've done a pretty good job of being vague enough to where I don't know. You know, I, I, it's hard to make a, anything really out of it. But until, like, he's, he's being honest, until Manny gets beaten out on a consistent basis, then, I mean, the 
nothing's really changed. Be- between the two guys from what you've seen to this point, who would you start a quarterback in the first game? I'd start Manny. I really would. And Don't you know, sound very confident. Yeah, I'm being more hesitant than what I'm used to, though, because you, uh, what we've seen in the past couple of weeks, and I don't know if he's nagged by anything, but the accuracy has just been horrible. Yeah. So I, I don't know what's going on there, but I'd start Manny just because he, I think he fits what ASU, it makes the offense a bit more dynamic. Yeah. My, my sense just from the last couple of weeks, I thought Wilkins started out at Camp Tonizona really well. I thought mm-hmm. the first couple exactly. days there, he was accurate. Yeah. The mechanics yeah. looked better. Um, the delivery with his with his with his feet and and his his, his arm, um, he, he was uh, much more repetitive and the and, and the accuracy was there. And then as Tonizona sort of unfolded, uh, in he had uh, the last practice on Thursday that we saw, and then the scrimmage. He regressed, and, right. he, and he said after Thursday, you know, just some little things that I need to get cleaned up, and I'll do that, and, and I'll do better next time. That that was, you know, essentially what he said. And then on Saturday, he almost yeah. said the exact same thing because he had the similar same types thing. of misses. Yeah, exactly. um, Blake Barnett, my my sense is that he that he's done better of late. Uh, now, of course, we haven't seen more than uh, two 11-on periods at the very maximum in Tempe practices since they've been back. Um, but now we get these reports that, that he has had uh, a, a pretty good scrimmage showing. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, there's nothing that I've seen or heard that leads me to believe that that he's on the verge of passing Manny Wilkins or that the gap is extremely close. Right. Uh, I still think that, that Manny Wilkins is solidly leading the the quarterback race and I, I it's it's getting to a point where i would almost be a little bit surprised if he isn't the opening day starter they only have a handful of more days of evaluation uh, he would have to have a really bad week coupled with a barnett a uh, really good week right. or maybe That's barnett just lighting it up through saturday's scrimmage in order to to for me to think that that this may head in a different direction and it's possible. I mean, it's not, you can't totally rule it out. There have been times in the past where things have happened. I remember 2012, Mike Bercovici faltered in mid August and Taylor Kelly really ascended and then took the job and never looked back. Some people have talked about the uh, 2002 battle between Christensen and Andrew Walter. Christensen of course ended up starting the season, but then faltered and didn't play well in a September game against San Diego state. Andrew Walter came in and never looked back based upon the big arm and the, and the downfield capability with Sean McDonald. So there's, there, there is, you know, still time. And my sense, uh, I don't know how you feel about it. Kalen is we still may be talking about a quarterback competition or battle sometime in, um, into September or even later on in the season. Uh, especially given that you have Manny Wilkins, who's been injury prone, and 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 Brady White, who, by all accounts, has has looked good for somebody coming off of an injury, and maybe he gets cleared at some point in the time. So, uh, what's your sense of it? Do you think that we, what's the likelihood of us seeing two or more quarterbacks this season, or us even talking about a quarterback competition or battle or situation? say a month from now or more yeah i think it's really likely you know like you mentioned wilkins is more he's going to be injury or he has in the past been injury prone i won't say they will be god you know i'm not trying to you know speak injuries over the guy but yeah (laughs) um i I definitely think that's going to be up for discussion especially considering like the early slate of um non-conference games like when you're playing new mexico state and then san diego state's a a pretty good opponent and so is on texas tech but 
I think that initial game, that's just, you know, more of a trial run than it is, or at least it should be more of a trial run should they prove successful during the game. Um, yeah. He has to demonstrate that he's that he's going to do the things that ward against injury and putting himself uh, in harm's way. Right. That's the whole key. That's what you mean. And it, it totally makes sense because he didn't do those things last year and we saw what ended up happening. Yeah. And But during Camp T, he did slide a couple times. I know, I made note of that. It, like he did slide a couple times. I was like, wow. I mean, somewhat awkward on. slides, though, <laughs> you know, where he gets caught like kind of in between because it's not really his yeah. nature. Yeah. You know? It's, you know, it's more that head first, I guess, mentality where he's trying to be the hero. It's and I wouldn't call it hero ball either. It's just like, you know, the guy wants to be gutsy and gets the extra yards, but you gotta be smart when you're a quarterback. I, I agree. So we'll see how this sort of unfolds in the next uh few days. But by, by the time that we tape our podcast next week, I think we'll have a much better idea. Yeah. I think so. Uh like how locked in that it really is. Right. Uh but but so for right now, we think Wilkins will be the, the starter. Next thing that is, is, is essential for us to talk about is the secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, I think we agree that the keys to the season are quarterback play and then how ASU does with its pass defense. Yes. Um, last year, of course, it was uh, as bad as, as you could possibly prob- be. Uh, the ASU was the, the worst passing defense uh, in the country, second worst all time behind Cal. What was interesting about what Graham has said in recent days is, and this, this was on two different occasions, asked about which position group is the most improved on his roster. He said, I think it's our secondary. Right. And uh, after Monday's practice, he said, and this is quoting, I think the guys we have are faster. I think we're better technique wise. I think they're doing a better job with the generalship of downs, knowing what they're taking away. I think far and away that group has been the most improved group. Now, I don't know about that, but, yeah. but w- what's your sense of, of how the group is doing and then also him putting himself out there with a quote like that? Well, I mean, it, it's hard to make sense of, you know, the secondary being that much better based on what I've heard about the scrimmage. Like, that, that isn't how it went, you know? That, that's it's not what I've heard about the scrimmage. Yeah, our, what we heard is basically yeah, there was what, four or five big plays that were given up and all that. Exactly. So, you know, that's kind of concerning. Maybe it is a, you know, improvement on what happened last year. You know, <laughs> not, not to be cheeky or anything, but I mean, it really might be. But if that's where you're at, the rhetoric, like we, you and I were talking about, it, Chris, like the rhetoric saying that your secondary has improved that much, there should be more significant, like the explosive play should be down from five a game or six or seven to like two or three. You know, at most, yeah, it shouldn't be four, five, six. That's still not good enough, especially in the Pac-12. So and the rhetoric needs to match, you know, the st- the play or at least the talent that they're tro- trotting out on the field in the secondary. Until those two match up, you know, I, it's it's hard to really make sense of what is going on because it makes it sound like you know he wants or Graham would want someone to believe that it's going smoother than what it is. Right, and and. ASU fans know that Graham has a very rhetorical, superlative right. talking right. style. And so then the question becomes, well, is this a situation where he wants it to be the, so, and therefore yeah. he says these things to try to speak it into existence? Or is this a, a, an accurate portrayal of the situation? Right. And the, the part of the quote that, that leads me to be a little skeptical is when he says we're better technique-wise. Well, when you're so reliant on newcomers, right. Kobe Williams, Chase Lucas, right. Daz Tautelatasi hasn't played much back there. Um, Jamarcus Rhodes is playing a new position at Spur. 
uh, behind Chad Adams. You have new guys at, at that field safety position. How could you reasonably be expected to be better technique-wise yeah. than what you had last year with guys who had been in the program multiple years, Kareem Moore, Armand Perry? Exactly, the two best players. Lyle <laughs> Mokiola. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. The smartest players. So, yeah. so, so for you to be better technique-wise, it would almost be an acknowledgement that you had coaching flaws prior to the arrival of Phil Bennett. Right. Um, which shouldn't be the case because Todd Graham also has spent a lot of his time coaching defensive backs. He was a defensive he, back at one point too. <laughs> and he was a defensive back. That, that's what he did in practices before the arrival yeah. of Phil Bennett. So that's why, it, it's, you know, that's why some of that just seems to not really make sense in, in, in context. And fans are now going to evaluate Graham based upon this. Because right. this is this, this is going to permeate the consciousness of fans. Yep. We're much improved in our secondary. That's going to be the the general takeaway. Right. And then if you're not, yeah. If so you it, when you falter and don't meet that expectation, then the, then the criticism hits you that much harder. Yeah. And so this is this is where he's sort of setting himself up for this. Exactly, and it's scary because you don't want to put yourself in that position if he just comes out and. Or, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, saying he's not being honest. But from what I've, from what I am aware of, he's not being honest. Yeah. If you're just honest about what's happening, or at least, you know, giving more context to your comments, saying that we're much improved, you know, provide context. So say that, you know, in comparison to last year, we were giving up this many plays, and now we're only giving up this many plays. Yes. Give your fans more, you know, credence to the expectations, so that way when, you know, you hit that line, when fans think much improved, they're thinking national champion, you know, automatically the sky's the limit, you know? Yeah. If we're much improved yeah. in our secondary. Yeah. Oh, great. We have sky's a chance to have a great season. Exactly. And when you corral people's expectations are more realistic and provide further context, I think, you know, fans will have a better idea and yeah. will have a better idea of what to expect of the unit moving forward. And it's not just rhetoric. And when you zoom out even further, when you open up the aperture and you zoom out further, it's, it's in the context of, Graham needing to have a better season because fans are now starting That's to get it. a little bit skeptical about, about him and his yeah. tenure at ASU. So there's more opportunities for your superlative nature to be challenged or for that right. to actually work against you. Um, you know, I, I've said in the past, people like the speaking victory, the, 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 the wildly optimistic goal setting and all those things. Yeah. When, there's no established uh, reality that contradicts that. Right. And, and now, to your point, if he said, look, we were really bad on defense the last couple of years, and I think we can be a lot better, yeah. maybe we're not going to be great, but, but I think we can be improved enough that it um, gives our team a much better chance of being in games and being successful. That's, that's reasonable. Yeah, if that's exactly. the way, if, if, you, if he feels that way, that's reasonable. But, but the manner in which you actually describe how you feel about the situation ultimately determines the the reality of exactly. of what you're going up against exactly so uh third third thing uh, number one qb number two secondary number three special teams mm -hmm. is a key thing that we want to talk about because of course asu maybe had the best specialist in the country last year i would say yeah. probably did uh they had the best kicker not just last year but the best kicker in recent college football, if not all of college football history, Zane Gonzalez. Yep. Um, you know, he had a game in which he made three 50-plus yard field goals. Um, you, you know, won the Groza, an All-American award. I mean, six 
six uh, FBS uh, NCAA fo- uh, football records. That's uh, and yeah, <laughs> and 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 Matt Hawk, um, who was ASU's punter for a three-year period, I believe, uh, was uh, in the top ten in the last two years in in punt average. Yep. I think it was sixth last year. So, what Sean Slocum has done with that unit, and let's remember. 2012, 2013, they were they were really bad. Um, Todd Graham made a, a a a coaching change after that 2014 season because of how uh, terrible ASU special teams were going to Sean Slocum and and they've just made huge leaps and bounds and now he's going to have probably his biggest test yet because he has to replace these two specialists. You have Brandon Ruiz, who's a a, a a high profile number one ranked kicker in the, in the country who's coming in. And then of course you also have Michael sleep Dalton, who's the Australian, uh, <laughs> you know, accent at all, uh, coming from Australian rules football. Great sport, by the way. Yeah. Through, <laughs> to, through junior college and at, at, at city college, San Francisco. Um, his great interview. Um, Brandon Ruiz, they, we, we interviewed him in the last, couple days mm-hmm. Kaylin, what did he say it was just like very matter of factly basically saying hey i'm going to be the best kicker in the country yeah he said that adamantly he said he was going to win the lou rosa he said he was going to be a freshman all-american and there was something else i can't remember what the third thing was but just those two statements he, alone like dude you're replacing the greatest arguably the greatest kicker in he's gonna boys. slay cersei's dragons or something right <laughs> <laughs> like there you go <laughs> yeah daenerys the dragons are not ready oh yeah so, daenerys's yeah. dragons it's what all, am i saying cersei sorry no, it's all good i don't like cersei that much. yeah the cersei's cersei doesn't have the dragons to her advantage um but but yes, you might, you know, yeah, form of a leg. Yeah. So <laughs> so so the reality is um, maybe he has a chance to do these things. We saw him in practice mm-hmm. uh, Monday. He hit six of seven field goals from 42 yards. He pulled one that was a little bit off. Uh, he's hit as far as 57 or 58 yards in practice this year. He has a pretty big leg. Uh, I don't know if he's going to win a Groves Award. Of course, that's actually happened in ASU history for a, a freshman kicker to accomplish that. But um, at a minimum, I think it's safe to say that that he'll be he'll probably be pretty good. I mean, he's yeah, no, he, which is surprising because he doesn't look all that big at all. No, he's no, he is is um, personality doesn't necessarily match how he looks. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and what about Sleep Dalton? Um, have you had anything jump out at you about about what he brings to the table? So I personally like I like when you have a punter that's versatile enough to you know they can kick with both legs, they can you know kick sideways, whatever on the run. I, I think that's important because when you have that versatility, I know fans hate it because it's you know it's um, not necessarily just different, but it's 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 not normal. <laughs> yeah, and it throws them off, you know. But I, I think it's really important. But for ASU specifically, like last year, just I know that. Um, the advanced stats were saying how I, I think they, they finished in the top 25 for every single kicking statistic, both in field goals, kickoffs, punting. So the importance of just Matt Hawk, I know we talk about Zane, which, you know, he deserves it. You know, mm-hmm. he, he had a phenomenal year. But when you look at what Matt Hawk was able to do, not just last year, but over the course of the past two seasons, like he kept ASU in games. He, you know, yeah. flipping the field completely, putting their defense, you know, obviously there, there were certain situations where, you know, they can prevent the big play either way. But Sometimes, you know, scoring drives were just stalled just by the fact that ASU pinned them so, their opponent so deep. So if Sleep Dalton can produce, like, on a level, you know, comparable to that, then 
I think it gives ASU the sim- summer chance of winning games just like last year. Like yeah. every defensive drive is important. Yeah, actually, when when I think that's a good point because when Josh Hubner was the punter for ASU before uh, Matt Hawk came in, he was a great weapon at flipping the field. And then Matt Hawk, early in his tenure, before Sean Slocum really came in and helped him refine his punting with with uh, making his drop more reliable and and some of the other mechanics of swinging the leg, um, that was a big issue. And where ASU was giving up poor starting field position too often uh, after having unsuccessful drives on its end of the field. So uh, I agree. I I think that actually we may not see uh, as precipitous a drop-off of ASU special teams units as would ordinarily be expected to be the case given what ASU is losing there. Um, So now we wanted to also kind of talk about some of the remaining fluid or somewhat fluid position depth chart battles um what what um jumps out at you as as the ones that we're still really kind of watching and aren't resolved yet Kalen? um i think one of the interesting ones is probably the cornerback position with chase lucas and joey bryant i believe it's at the field corner position right it's boundary boundary it's boundary yeah because chase, chase is so lengthy you know yeah and joey bryant is too like you i think he is too but in my opinion like you you let chase go out there especially this year like you let it, throw him out to the wolves and then let him learn because he has that potential to be, you know, a top 10 corner within the conference at the very least, you know? Yeah. So that, it kind of confuses me there, but it makes sense if they're that high on Joey Bryant. Well, this is the kind of thing where if it, it kind of depends in part on how um, much distress coaches feel like their jobs are in, mm-hmm. because ordinarily you would say, oh, Chase Lucas, he's going to be really good eventually. He's a redshirt right. freshman. It may take him a year. It may take six months. It may take a year and a half. He's going to get there. And exactly. I think that's, I think we can, I think we know that that's going to happen for him. But the coaches are, are saying almost to themselves, it seems like maybe Joey Bryant might be, you know, equal or slightly better or more reliable right now. Right. And, and, and that's what we're going to go by. And these guys are both probably, you know, within an inch of each other athletically. I think they're relatively comparable, uh, but you know, one's, one's a few years older. Yeah. One's 25. Yeah. Is he 25? Is, yes. Joey Bryan is 25 years old. Is he, they must be the oldest guy on the team. Yeah, maybe. He could be. <laughs> yeah. So. so that, so that's, so that's, that's a big part of it. it is a lot of it comes down to whether coaches are willing to allow themselves to go with the guy who's got more long-term upside and potential exactly. at the expense of potential short-term, you know, issues, but it's not as though, uh, Todd Graham feels as as if he can't afford to lose against a San Diego State or a Texas Tech, and so then that uh, er, the way that you the prism through which you view um, choosing your 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 personnel um, is affected by that, right? right? So it'll be more short sighted, and it makes sense. Like you know, we're we're looking at it from a long term perspective. Like even you know, God forbid, I guess for his sake, like in the event Graham isn't there. And they do clean house. Like Chase Lucas will still be there. Yeah. So for whoever's there, like they'll, they'll inherit, you know, this potential piece of being a top corner within the conference. And probably Chase Lucas will end up being will end up starting. Now yeah, exactly. he could have. I mean, I look at Chase Lucas. I say uh, he, he's probably going to be very instinctual. He'll probably bite on some double moves and, right, and have some that. and have some big breakdowns. But but overall, 
uh, like today in practice, he had, there was an underthrown ball uh, that was targeting Humphrey, mm-hmm. and he did a good job of avoiding running into the receiver, um, was comfortable with his back to the football, turned around, nearly made an interception. Yeah. We've seen some really good plays from Chase, Chase Lucas that reflect a, a, a very large amount of potential that, that's, that, that um, is going to be balanced out against by some some learning curve, you know, that he has. Mm-hmm. And the other one that we're looking at really, really closely is that nose tackle position right. and, and the various ways in which the, the uh, coaches could configure the defensive line. Right. And it's going to be interesting because you have Shannon Foreman, who's been serving as more of that three, three tech. They've had to kick Jojo Wicker back outside originally at camp T like, no, they have been working him at defensive end and switching back inside. So that way they uh, had a Lonnie Latsu over at, um, defensive end but since his injury they've had to kick Wicker back out I think it's going to be interesting to see whether or not Foreman can hang on to that starting three tech role or whether they decide to incorporate Latsu back at end so Wicker goes back inside you could incorporate George Leah in that role at, at nose tackle too so I think it's definitely going to be like one of the more important roles too especially when you look at the players who have served like interior linemen over the past like last year you had Latsu and you had a Tashawn Smallwood who's been there for a couple of years. I think that's one of the more crucial positions to ASU having, a, you know, at least defense to above average run defense, which, you know, in the past, it, it's been one of the more formidable ones in the conference since Graham's been there. But, um, you know, last year, there were they definitely ups and downs. But I, I think if Foreman can, you know, display the type of potential and maybe, you know, start the edge towards that this year, then I say, I say why not? Yeah. One of the interesting things, of this camp has been Tayshon Smallwood moving to play some of the uh, nose over the football or right. uh, the way that they've shifted their front uh, at times so that guys are versatilely playing in, in different uh, techniques at the line of scrimmage. And Graham, in a very unprompted way, said that Smallwood's performances camp has been one of the biggest standouts. Um, usually when you don't ask about a player, but that's who gets mentioned, for, with, with with Graham, that's an indication of who he's really been pleased with. Uh, and what we're looking at here is basically, uh, do they feel like moving Wicker inside and having Latu at end is a better starting front four along with Crump as their devil backer? Or are they better off going with Foreman or maybe George Lee inside at tackle next to Tayshawn Smallwood with Renell ran to end. And I think that's not totally resolved, but, but also this is where you want to have the most depth and the most guys who rotate in at times they've played too many snaps with uh, their defensive linemen and, and guys haven't been as fresh as you would ideally want them to be. Right. Um, and, and so I think all those guys are going to play. And then, and then also uh, they really feel like they need to get more from Renell Wren. His potential is just, huge um, yeah. among the top guys that they have on their defense. There's just almost nobody that has his combination of length, size, strength, and freakish athleticism. And, and so really getting him going, I think is going to be big. And then also Doug Subtil, um, right? Be, because one of the things that Michael Slater, the defensive line coach told us was Subtil listens a lot. He's absorbing. He's made a lot of progress. If he is, is gives them comfort as a second option at end that also then uh, gives you more flexibility with what you do with wicker, how many reps you're playing, 
wicker and small wood or, or maybe um, you know how much rotating that you're doing with foreman because foreman maybe isn't in ideal conditioning and so maybe right. you'd like to only be able to have him out there 20 snaps or something like that and maybe uh, other guys like a sub till or um renell wren give you that flexibility to where um you, you have that so cornerback on the on that boundary side opposite kobe williams who by all accounts seems to be almost locked in as yeah, as, as a starter he's the tiniest one out there <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, uh, you know, I, I saw you uh, the other day from behind, and I thought you were Kobe Williams. <laughs> I wish I was his buff. My man, my man, uh, <laughs> man Kalen and Kobe Williams are not that far apart from a, from a stature standpoint. Uh, but, but Kobe's probably, what, like 5'8 or yeah, so? Yeah, probably and, like 160 or buck 70 if you're being generous yeah with 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 uh waterlogged boots on yeah uh, but he is lengthy like he's got long arms like uh -huh. he's scrappy so but the question is going to be how does he tackle yeah that's the thing. how much can you get down at the line of scrimmage when you're being blocked and, yeah. and and things of that nature um so other than those position groups uh, what else is left i think i think some of the other things that people are are, are wondering about and, and understandably so would be Marcus Ball not running with the ones right. so far. Um, they had your Marcus Rhodes at Spur. He was, um, for people who are, are subscribers, he was at the top of our hot 11. Kobe Williams not far behind in, in the hot 11. Uh, Daz Tautolatasi has been the, the, the first team bandit uh, or down safety as, as Phil Bennett likes to call it. Um, what do you make about about that? Marcus Ball primarily working with the twos when he's been out there. And then also... Uh, about Maurice Chandler, who who played a lot and even started last year at times, repping with the threes primarily in practices to this point in camp. Yeah, like the Marcus Ball thing, I'll start with that. Like, yeah, that's interesting because I remember Graham so adamantly last year, he mentioned, like, you know, you want to get your best 11 players on the field. And more often times than not, he was mentioning, you know, Marcus Ball being one of their best 11 players on defense. So unless they've incorporated 11 more players this year that he feels are better, you know, I, I still felt like, you know, from a cover standpoint, he had improved a little bit last year, at least enough to work in at Spur. And he, he's pretty solid against the run. Like, he's a tackling machine, if anything. Mm -hmm. like he's always around the ball. That's his strength. <laughs> Fitting that, you know, like it's his last name. But, uh, I, mean, <laughs> but I, I actually like – I think that he did a better job as a bandit than a Spur – even against the run and with read recognition, play identification, than against Spur because he missed some wheel routes and other things. Right, right, right. Against um, who was it? U UTSA. Yeah, UTSA. He got beat horribly. Yeah, several times, and then and yeah. then that that caused problems. But against UCLA, when they moved the bandit, he was killing Mu it. Much better. But then at bandits, where you have more of the the pass responsibilities exactly. with Bennett, and so that's where you have some potential. And and this is probably the reason why he is running with the twos is some of these things again right. sort of still existing um and but what do you make about maurice chandler being with the threes because to me that's like a, a enormous surprise yeah. with their returning experience and how they initially viewed him as a prospect he was highly rated uh coming out of the junior college ranks yeah no it's definitely a surprise like that that was the biggest surprise of anything when i first showed up for camp t seeing him you know not even included with the second team unit you know like I, I think that he's not necessarily one of your most, you know, I guess fundamentally sound players, but he'd make some plays where he'd come back to the ball where it's like, you know, if he just figures it out, like against Oregon, the touchdown that he got beat on, that was like 
a jump ball is a miraculous play. I was like, if he was just a split second there, there's a good play against UCLA and USC where yeah. he had play similar to that. And I was like, you know, if that guy figures it out next year, then he'll end up being a pretty solid starter. And to see him, like, tumble completely and vanish from the conversation, yeah, that's surprising, especially how you mentioned, like, they don't have very many returning starters. Like, in to be fair, like, Kobe Williams is a much smaller cornerback than – um, what Maurice Chandler is like, I'd trust him more in the boundary, even in the field, than I do someone as small as Kobe. Well, what, the thing that I noticed was at, at Camp Tonazone, I don't remember what day, but uh, Maurice Chandler went out there with a third team in, in one rep, and Phil Bennett actually pulled him off the field after one rep because he had he wasn't he didn't get lined up properly. Mm. And they talk about the, the the Bennett's five keys to a successful play. It starts with basically getting aligned properly, knowing your assignment. And he, did, he wasn't able to do that. And to me, that was reflective of a bigger issue because I don't, the, normally you're not going to get pulled off the field after one play right. if it's isolated. It, it, usually that happens because it's indicative of a trend yeah. and, and, and a trend that would uh, perhaps put him with the third team to begin with. Right. And, and so I think overcoming that, being dialed in, understanding uh, you know, what you're, what, what you're trying to accomplish on a day in and day out basis, reps, mental reps, being good in film, all those things are what it's probably going to have to, to, to be demonstrated from Reese Chandler, uh, Chandler to move up. But he's now, you know, in, in a difficult spot working with the threes yep. this close to the season. And I don't know what's going to happen as a result of that. So yeah. we'll see whether or not he gets a chance though, too, because I, I think with anything though, you're, we're going to see a lot of rotation with defensive backs. And not to say that they're going to be, you know, not successful. It's just like I, I think naturally what ASU is going to do early on in the season is trot out who they can and try out different players at different spots. I think he's going to figure in the conversation at some point. Yeah. So basically as we tape this on, on Monday the 14th, uh, there's another full week of what, what really should be considered ASU camp practices. Mm -hmm. Then they're going to have a scrimmage, uh, basically a half scrimmage, uh, that's going to be on Saturday. After this, after that Saturday scrimmage, uh, they're going to move on and start getting their scout team settled. Mm -hmm. We'll have a much better idea of which freshmen are um, projected to play, who's going to be headed for redshirt seasons, at least uh, projected redshirt seasons at the outset. We may have a better ability to report on who's going to be the starting quarterback, depending on if they decide to try to hold that back or, or just we'll put see. it out there. I, I'm more inclined to believe that they'll try to reserve that and right. for game week um, just just because maybe they, they, they won't want it to be talked about as much or be a distraction. But uh, a situational half scrimmage on Saturday, uh, they're going to look at, you know, like extended drive offense to run the clock out, um, end of halftime, end of game situations, all these other sort of um, – uh, things that you would just have in games that, that uh, you know, circumstances they may run into. Right. Um, we'll be back after that scrimmage, uh, probably a week from today, to, to sort of uh, wrap up the camp, uh, progress some of these narratives on where they're at with, with some of these things. And I think at that point in time, we're going to start to uh, put together some season predictions, forecasting, and things of that nature, and, and um, we're looking forward to doing that. So uh, for Kalen Jones, I'm Chris Cartman. Thank you so much for being with us on the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. 
And we're going to have a Sun Devil Source Report premium podcast to follow this. That's a member-only look that's a little bit more wonky, a little bit more uh, in, into the weeds on a lot of the things that we've discussed here and, and quite a bit more. So make sure you also look for that and check out our content on sundevilsource.com. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.